0: At Jesus' kingdom ethic for who we are as the people. We talked about how when we look at God's kingdom, that is a short language of saying his reign, his presence, his power that's already here and is broken in human history through the work of Christ and by the continued power of his Holy Spirit that is in his people, those who have trusted and received in Jesus Christ, right? And that, that, that kingdom is already here, but we said it's not yet here fully. But there's still injustice and brokenness and sin in my life and your life and throughout the world. And so we're waiting on the day when Christ himself will come and restore all things. Until then, those of us who've trusted in Jesus, that we've been given the call by God to continue what he's doing in his kingdom. That we do this ultimately in following Jesus. And Jesus invites us into this kingdom of what the happy life or the blessed life looks like. He says it's actually acknowledging that you're poor in spirit, that there's nothing that you bring to the table to make God love you any more, therefore nothing you could do to make God love you any less, but you receive what you have in Christ. And when you understand that, that you you care about his plans and his purposes, that there's this hunger that you have for righteousness and justice, that when we live out the way of, of life following Christ, that we become light to a dark world or we become salt, as Jesus says, to a world that's decaying. And that we take all that God has written in his law in the Old Testament, and we don't do away with it, but actually he now, in his grace, takes the Spirit and writes it on our hearts. So we understand what it looks like, and and we're empowered by the Spirit to live out the law of God. And it's it's more than just do's and don'ts, but it's a heart that says, because I love you, I'm not going to murder you. That if I love you, I'm not going to cheat on you. And even though you may be my enemy, I'm going to continue to love you. And then when it comes to how we continue to live this life, Jesus says, wait, wait, you got to understand that this is not ultimately us doing religious things to get the applause of people. So we have to step back and go, in God's kingdom, um, are we called to be obsessed with the approval of people? And so we do religious things that he talks about giving and praying and fasting. Or should we be obsessed with our reward that the Father sees us, obsessed with his kingdom, his love, and his delight? And what we said last week is that Jesus is opening up something in the kingdom that many of us overlook. That when it comes to this kingdom ethic, it's not just so much of how we should live, but whose love that we live from. And so he begins to talk about this Father and be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That he ultimately now, in this particular portion of Scripture that we taught last week, but are coming back to focus more on the Lord's Prayer, that he talks about this Father in whom we pray to. That Jesus is very intentional in teaching us how to pray. And he begins, and I would say continues, a life of what it means to follow him by saying, you pray to your Father. Now, here's the deal. Most of us didn't grow up in charismatic churches um, if you heard that you, and you know what I'm talking about, you know exactly what type of church I'm talking about. The rest of you are like, you mean like someone who's gifted and influential? No, no, right? Um, sometimes the spirit, the spirit moves in ways that most of us are not used to. And I don't know if the Spirit is moving that way, but it was clear to me uh, when I walked off the stage last service that, that I believe the Lord was saying, teach another message. So we're going to see. Um, if it's true or not, and if it wasn't, we're going to go back to the other message at the 5 o'clock. So uh, we're, let's ask, in that and, and ask God to lead us ultimately during this, during this time. So would you pray with me, and let's ask God by his spirit to reveal and uplift and exalt the name of Christ. Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this season and this life of our church in which we are trying to, Lord, by your spirit, read through the whole Bible in a whole year. God, I pray that you would give us and grant us the mercy and the gift of your spirit that we need. God, I pray that as we open up the word today, as we look at how your son taught us how to pray, Lord, let us us flow from the fact that we have a father. We have a father who loves us, a father whose purpose is good, a father whose kingdom is here and is coming in its fullness, a father who forgives us of sins and provides for our daily needs, and, Lord, that you protect us from the enemy. Lord, I pray that we would do likewise in caring for others and forgiving others, and, Lord, that you would take your word to, to feed us today, uh, to inspire us today, to convict us of sin and of righteousness according to the power of your spirit. So Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray that you would be known. In Christ's name, amen. I, I don't know how you learned how to pray, right? We said this last week that more things are caught than taught, and so you're around things, and so that's how you learn how to pray. Uh, the way I learned how to pray was not by my mom sitting me down and saying, take your hands and do this or whatever. Um, we had prayer nights at the church that I grew up in. So I went to this church in inner city LA and we had prayer nights on Wednesday nights. And so every Wednesday night you had to come and pray and we didn't have childcare. I didn't know what that was until I came to this church. And, and, and so kids, kids had to come in and, and, uh, and, you know, why everybody else was just praying the kids had to be there and there was no iPhones or iPads or whatever to distract your kids from hearing about Jesus. We didn't have that at that particular time. So you had to be in there and, and everybody would be on their knees praying like like, literally on their knees praying. And you would hear every, like out loud at the same time. And no one was directing it. Nobody was saying, wait, no, now you guys pray. Now wait, your turn. And then you guys are gonna pray. It was just praying. And, and I grew up in a very charismatic church so people were speaking in tongues. And if you don't know what that is, you ain't ready. And so, so <laughs> there was just a lot of that going on. And one of the things that was so unique about that is when I remember asking my mom, like what should I say if I gotta pray? She goes, just thank God for everything you had. And I would sit there for as long as we were in there, and I would thank God, just buy a list. I was probably seven years old. Thank you, God, for my big will. Uh, thank you, God, for, I mean, whatever, whatever it was that I had, these little things, but there was like, you were just, you, you cultivate a sense of gratitude, and you cultivate a sense of, like, these people prayed. And I, 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 when I became a Christian and really started following the Lord, I always wondered, like, would that just happen because it was a, it was a pretty small church, and yet these people are so thankful. Most of them didn't have nearly the resources that, that many of us in this room have. And then a few years ago, I wondered if, if a big church could pray. Because um, prayer is something that's hard. If we said, hey, guys, for, every, for for the next six weeks on Wednesday night, we got prayer. Everyone's like, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Oh, man, you know what I got on Wednesday night? But I'm going to pray somewhere else, right? God's all-knowing. He's everywhere. I can pray, which is true, right? But you don't usually have a huge attendance on a prayer night. Now, if I said, hey, there's been a scandal. We want to tell you guys. If you can come on Wednesday night for the next six weeks, You're like, yeah, we, you know what? <laughs> Thank you, Lord. We will be here, right? <laughs> so, a few years ago, Jim Mullins and myself, we had the opportunity to take this class and we explored the spirituality of New York. We got a chance to visit a lot of churches and ministries in New York. But one of the churches we got to visit was the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And some of you guys are like, yeah. Like you almost just said, yeah. Because you know why? The Brooklyn Tabernacle has some of the best music that comes out of there. It's out of control. But what they're known for is that they pray. And so we're meeting with Jim Simbolo, who's the pastor there, and he kept talking about prayer and how prayer meant everything. And he was, you can just imagine this hard core um, Polish man, like grown up in New York, in Brooklyn. He must have told us five times that he was all inner city, basketball player, first team, and only white guy on the team. And he did lead a black church, which I'm just telling you, his status just went whoop, right? And so here's this, here, here's this guy, older guy. And he said, you know what? And he started talking about the realities of his life and how his daughter had walked away from Jesus and was um, you know, on drugs and so forth. And he goes, you know what I did? I let her go. And we're all like, what? And I just prayed for her, and we all prayed for her. And now she's in this church, she's in ministry, she loves Jesus, she's walked with Jesus. In fact, we just start taking in anybody whose kids were away from God or any issues, you'd write them down, and we would have a team of people praying for those things every day. And we just built a culture on prayer. We just pray. We just believe that God can do it, and we can't. And that just wasn't like lip service. So every Wednesday night or Tuesday night or whatever it was, they have this prayer. Do you guys realize that when we walked out of that building, there was a line from the entry of that church all the way to where the subway was in Brooklyn. And this was not like like in the parking lot. This was not, you know, parking across the street. This was huge. There were five to 7,000 people showing up every Wednesday night. They had more people that showed up for their Wednesday night prayer than they did for their actual services on Sunday. Like people actually believed that God was going to meet them through prayer. I just imagine, what, like, like if we actually believed God in that sense, where He would actually move through, move through prayer, and, we, and then we come to this, this, this moment in, in, in the, the, Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is inviting us to pray. And I don't know about you, if you've ever been invited to prayer, pray in a moment where it's kind of uncomfortable, right? Like you're like, I don't know if I really want to pray. So a few years ago, uh, actually several years ago, when I first gra- when I when I first graduated college, uh, I graduated once. Um, <laughs> When I graduated from college, I started teaching at a school, and there was this lady there, Miss Robin, we called her. Miss Robin took care of us. Uh, Me and my friend Zach, uh, we were roommates, and tax season came, and she was like, "Uh, hey, did you guys do your taxes? I'm like, I've never done taxes before. And she was like, well, I'll do them for you. And I'm like, I think that's a great idea. That's great. And um, she would take us in for holidays and so forth. We didn't have family here. We were single didn't have any girlfriends, didn't so have any friends. Anyways, whatever. And so, so that, 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 like, we loved her. And we got, I got a chance to meet her daughter. And I had the privilege to be able to share the gospel with her daughter. And her daughter came to know Jesus. My friend Zach later became to know Jesus. They met each other, and, and, and they, then they got married and, then, and so forth, and, like, got a chance to introduce them. I thought, for sure, firstborn kids, Ricardo, right? No, didn't get that. <laughs> Did not happen. So a few years later, Renee and Zach called me and said, you know, Robin had... Uh, had cancer. Renee's mom had cancer. We're going to have this prayer night. We're going to pray for healing for her. And uh, we invited all of our friends. We want you to come. We want you and Holly to drive up there. So after service on a night, night services, we drove all the way up to the West Valley and um, got there in this house with all these strangers. I knew Zach, I knew Renee, and I knew Robin. And, um, and, and then Renee goes, okay, we're going to get started here. Um, nobody in here is Christian except for just the three of us. And uh, we're just going to pray for my mom. And uh, we want you to lead it. And I'm like, what? I'm not prepared for this. And so you kind of just try to awkwardly lead the prayer with a bunch of people who don't believe in God. Um, And and so I just gave some, like, just pray whatever you know. Uh, Talk to God. He's real. He's here. He's present. And we're just going to go around, and different people can pray. And this guy prayed, and he had a simple prayer. God, if you're there, which I think you are, would you heal my friend uh, Robin? It was really simple. And I thought we were done. I said, if we're done, we can just be done. You don't have to force it. And then some people were like, no, we want to keep praying. So we kept praying. And it got back to that guy who prayed that simple prayer. And he says, God, it's me again. I forgot to tell you the first time. My name is Mike, just in case you didn't know. And that was it. And I'm sitting there going, there's something honest about that. There's something like he hasn't, you know, he just, just, he's actually relating to God relationally. Sorry, I forgot to introduce myself. And yet he doesn't know that God already knew him before he fashioned and formed him in his mother's womb. That I don't know this man. I've never seen this man since. But, but there was something about that has always stuck with me of a sense of going, man, people don't know who God is. And people don't know that not only does God, like, not, like he knows your name, he knows every hair on your head. He knows everything that's happened in your life that is happening and that will happen. And he's not just this God who's at a far, though he's transcendent and powerful and all knowing, but he happens to be all loving. And so here is Jesus talking about the ethics of the kingdom, and like smack in the middle of it, he stops and says, Let me teach you how to pray. Because I don't want you to pray like the hypocrites just trying to pray so that you can look like you're religious or you can be known as the other church who has 5,000 people coming to pray. Because like, that's pointless. Their reward is to be known, and they can have that when God's like, I already know you. He goes, but don't pray like the Gentiles. And that was just phrase for saying people who don't believe in God. And they, they, they pray to their gods, their false gods. They have to say a bunch of words and say a bunch of things that hopefully their God would like it. And then their God would move. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Your father already knows what you want. So the invitation to in prayer is not so much um, that God doesn't know your name. It's that you may know his name. That you may actually live into the love of the Father. That you may actually rest there. That you may find yourself so hidden in Jesus. Think about this. That you forget about yourself for a moment. Just for a moment. And go, you know what? I'm not even going to make this about me. Like, it's not that you don't matter. It's that you matter so much because of the love of the Father. And yet I know this. As soon as we start talking about Father, there's a bunch of emotions that goes through all of us that if i have to relate to god as father that's difficult for me because here's what my dad was like or here's what my father was like or here's what he should have been like and so i don't know how to relate to god and yet jesus doesn't give a whole lot of explanations for that because i think he realizes and wants us to realize your earthly father is good or as bad or as absent as he was he was never going to be god and he was never supposed to be god because God has always been God and he's always been a father and if you really want to understand how to live into the heart of prayer it starts and continues and concludes with knowing that God is your father and that he loves you amen so we're we're going to walk through some difficult things like father and forgiveness those are the two words that come up in here that i think most of us go oh i don't know if i, I don't i don't know about that because if you're a dad in this room you know you're terribly afraid of screwing up your kids and you're kind of going to at some moment, right? That's just the reality. No one goes, you know what? My parents were perfect. Come to think about it. They were, no, <laughs> no. So so no matter what you do to not become your parents, you're just gonna be a different version that may be a little bit better, but your kids are gonna end up in some pastor's office going, yeah, they don't know me like they think they do, pastor, right? So mine too. And so <laughs> praise the Lord, <laughs> right? So, so let's, 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 let's walk through this Lord's Prayer. So let's actually pick up here in verse 9, because Jesus talks about not praying like the hypocrites and not praying like the, um, the, the Gentiles, but he says this, actually verse 8, Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. He doesn't say because God knows, right? The higher being knows. No, 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 no. He's very intentional. Hey, your father knows. Like, that's intimate language. Um, that's not necessarily new to the Israelites, that, that you see in the Old Testament, you see in places in Deuteronomy, you see in Hosea 11, I believe in verse 1, that, that, that God speaks like you are my children and I am your father, and yet people did not relate to God that way. Like they, they didn't, most people didn't pray to God as father. Now here's God's only son saying, um, I want you to pray this way to my dad because he's also your dad. That ultimately, all of what he's doing is getting us to this point that we understand that we are adopted in Christ into the family of God. And he says, your father already knows. And so to that guy that day who said, oh, yeah, God, it's me, Mike. God's going, I've always known you. I've just always wanted you to know me. Right? Right? You love those stories where you see the kids are, like, searching out their fathers and their parents. And, like, you know, was it August Rush? Like, you never seen August Rush? (laughs) Whatever. It's a good movie. Um... He's like trying to find his father. There's this like this line in August Rush, and I'm totally about to ruin for those of you guys who haven't seen it. He's like, what do you want? This guy, what do you really want? He goes, to be found. Everyone's like, oh, right? And that's actually, that's actually it. We don't need to go finding our father, right? He's actually the one that's looking for us. There's no movie about that. The dad who's going to look for his children, and yet that's exactly what the scriptures teach us that this dad is looking for his children. He sends his son to look, and he sends his spirit, and all of them will come and be welcomed to the family and reign with him and his kingdom. When you begin to think like that, you're like, yeah, let's, let's go to that dad. Let's go to that father to pray. He says he already knows you. And then Jesus says this, verse 9, so pray like this. This is how we got to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Like, like the, the, the God in whom we go to happens to be our father, and so let me just, just, just explain that a little bit for us. Because we naturally, um, depending on how we're bent, we will relate to God as judge. Like most people, God is judge. And that is biblical and it's true. He's a just judge. But think about it. When, when you relate to God as judge, what you have is a picture of you in a courtroom. And at best, what forgiveness becomes is the God, the judge acquitting you and you going free, right? And anyone who's ever gone free doesn't go, let me go find that judge. Where's he at? Let me, let me go give him a hug right? No, you're like, you sure? Can't be reversed? I'm out of here, right? Or, or what we do on the, on the opposite side, we begin to relate to God as, as like the divine police. Like God is, he's just out there hiding behind some tree with this radar waiting for me to speed and go, ha. was that a radar movie you watched last night? right? Like, like, like God's like there, like waiting for us to do something wrong. But even then, if he was that and he forgave us, if the cop or police officer let us go, which never <laughs> happens, if that, if that happened, if that were particularly to happen, you wouldn't go find his badge number and then find him and say, I love you. I'm going to sing song. Man, your love is strong, right? You would, you would, you, we wouldn't sing songs about it. Or if we're related to God as creator. Again, very biblical. He's a creator. But you have to ask the question, and you've heard me say this before, what was God always doing? Right? Like, what was God like before he created to become a creator? What was God doing before there was ever sin to be judged? And what, what we understand from scriptures is he was, he's always had a son, and therefore, he's always been a father. Like, what he's, like, perfect at is being a father perfect. Our good earthly fathers could never be that. He's always shared his love with the Son. He's always been impressed with the Son just for being impressed with the Son, right? It's what he says to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy. He goes, it's not because you were big that I chose you. It's not because you were strong that I chose you. He goes, I love you because I love you. Every parent should look at their children and say, I love you not because you're fast or you're smart or you're strong, I love you because I love you. Like that exists nowhere. So so God's always been a loving father. And that creation in itself was an overflow of that love for that son in which we would be able to experience. Sin separated, and then that love of the father and the love of the son sends Christ in order that we may have that love again. And Jesus is saying, you have it now through his work. It is very good news. And this father that you've never known that has loved you before you could ever even imagine says, pray to him as your heavenly father. He loves you because he loves you. And everything flows from like that. And the prayer begins to show us the type of father we have. The first thing we learn in prayer is our father is holy. He says, hallowed be your name. That means to make a holy. And we don't need to make God holy. He already is. We need to acknowledge that. And so we are a flippant culture. We are a flippant people. And so when we begin to talk about the things or at least the name of God, there should be a reverence is what Jesus is saying. It's not that life in itself is fully serious, but when we talk about the God of this universe who happens to be our Father, who loves us, who sent his Son that we may have life with him, then there's a reverence of him, that we, we just don't use his name flippantly, but he happens to be God, and his name should be hallowed, should be holy. Like, this is God. He's sacred. He's other. And the one who is other happens to draw near. And he draws near so deep that the scriptures t- t- tell us that he sends his spirit to testify with our spirits just in case... We forgot that we are his. And it cries out on our behalf when we can't, Abba, Father. Which is the most endearing language that a person could have. That the spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children. he says, but when we pray to this God, when we talk to this God, when we talk about this particular God, we understand that his name is holy. And then it gets to the heart of here, of, of what God is doing. It's verse 10. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Guys, it ain't about us. Your circumstances are real. But ultimately, God is saying, first and foremost, his kingdom. Here's why this is hard for us. We don't trust authority. Like, we don't trust anybody. We'll work from somebody, but we don't really trust them. We don't really know if they have our best interests. Right? And sometimes people have proven that they don't. And so when we're asked to pray, God, whatever you want, This is what he's saying. Whatever you want, be done. He's asking us to to get rid of the control we have. The thing about control is it's an illusion. Sin gives us the illusion of autonomy that we get to do what we want. Like, you have volition. You can make choices. God's always going to be in control. It's not like he's sitting on the sideline going, put me in, coach, put me in, coach. Right? Right? He, he, Jesus is saying, I'm giving you the opportunity through the love of your Father to enter into his presence, to say, Lord, your will be done, your kingdom be done. When he's asking us to pray, he's not just saying, pray for yourself, pray for yourself, pray for yourself, pray for yourself, right? We said this kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. We, we, when it comes to prayer, we say our Father, and then we just go right into what we need. And it's usually me, 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 which are really good things that you're asking for. But it doesn't start off with, God, you are, you are, you are. Is that really a relationship? If you talk to someone you love and it was always about what they can do for you and what they can give you and what you can give you and never about who they are, do you really love that person? Is it really a covenant or is it a contract? Ultimately, if I say these things, can you do these things for me? And Jesus, is, Jesus is saying, no, your Father who is in heaven, pray that his will as it is in heaven and perfect peace would come and touch this world. That would touch in your vocation, would touch in your marriage, would touch touch in the way that you raise your children. That the kingdom of God would come in our church, that would come in our city, that would come in our world, and like God's way would be on display, and that we will lovingly and humbly submit to His way, trusting that He's good, that He's got our best for us, right? Those of you guys who are parents, you you kind of we kind of get this. I I never liked when I was single. Everybody would give these the pastors would give these um, analogies of parenting, um, and it always would seem like oh, when you become a parent, that's when you know God. It's like, no, you don't need to be a parent to know God, right? You, you become a parent and you realize how much even more you need God. Usually that's what happens. But there, there, there are moments when you, you have to discipline your kids. And you know what? You need to discipline your kids, by the way. <laughs> I think that's a form of child abuse when you don't discipline your kids. And for everybody else who watches them, FYI. So when, when you discipline your kids, there's a moment where it is hard to say no to your kids. It really is hard to say no, because you want them to kind of, yeah, sure, yeah, run into the street, dodge that car. But you know, you know that's not good for you, even though you are kicking and screaming. My love for you is, is this, like I have to not allow this or allow these things to happen because I know what's best for you. When you pray to your father, you're acknowledging he knows what's best for you, even when you don't. It's called faith, <laughs> that you begin to trust in him and say, I may not know what God is doing, but I'm going to trust in him as my, 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 my caring, loving, all-powerful father. It's exercising faith. And he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. He turns from glory of God, hallowing his name, your kingdom, your will, to finally he begins to ask. Jesus says to, for us to ask for our needs. And when it says here, our daily bread, that's not just food to eat. So those of you guys who've been keeping up with the reading plan, we would have just read a few days ago through Exodus where God was raining down manna, right? You guys read that? You didn't? Okay. Start today, (laughs) right? And the manna is coming down, and every single day they had to wake up and trust that God would provide. There's a picture there of saying God is the one who provides. Now, most of us don't think like that because we're capable-bodied people. We wake up, you know, we got ourselves dressed, we, we ate some food or at least got some coffee in place of food. We, we, came, we got in the car or bike or an Uber or whatever, you know, however you got here, and no point of it did you think, like, these are all things that are provision of God, and I need to thank him for these things. I go back to that church I grew up in. Those people were poor, guys. I'm not trying to say there's none of none of people that in those economic realities in our church, but for the most part, we're not where they are. And yet, the most thankful people in the world. Thankful, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We are so presumptuous. We actually believe that we pull ourselves up by the bootstraps instead of th- not reflecting who gave us boots, who gave us straps. And when, when, God, when God says this, that we, we should pray for our daily needs and our daily bread, he's not getting us off the hook to work and provide for ourselves. It's just understanding that God is the one who provides that to happen. When God says, Lord, provide for our daily need and give us daily bread, he's not getting us off the hook to care and to give food to the hungry amongst us. It's just understanding that we've been blessed in such a way to be a blessing to the people around us, and we depend upon God daily. Like he's the source of our life. And Jesus says, pray for that. Acknowledge that. And then he gets into a part that is very difficult for us. Verse 12 And forgive us of our debts, as we've also forgiven our debtors. And then jump to verse 14, because they go together. For if you forgive others their trespasses or sin, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Now, here's what's hard here, is we talk about forgiveness in church a lot. Like God forgives you, God forgives you past, present, and future. But Jesus is, again, he's going to the heart here. If you understand the love of the Father and it's his will and his kingdom, and he's met for you your physical needs, and he's met for you your spiritual needs, that he's forgiven your sins, do you forgive others the way that he's forgiven you? Like when it says forgive us of our debts, meaning we owed something, and this particular debt we can't pay back. I don't know if you've ever been in debt before, right? <laughs> Is anybody not in debt? Like, but if you, you, if you've probably, hopefully, you've never had the credit people calling you, right? And nobody wants to raise their hand like, oh yeah, I did. So don't, don't do it, right? Don't do it. I did. It was stupid. I should have never been in debt. But I was trying to stunt, and so I was in debt. Like I was that dude that in college when they were, you know, at the airport, they were always like, hey, you just fill this out, and it's a credit card. You could just buy whatever you want to buy. Simple payments of twenty dollars a month, and you're good. Really? Yeah, really, and that's it, $20 a month? And then what happens is when you don't got $20, you're like, ah, oh, they're good, they're good. And then I forgot about it. And I'd love to say I was buying books for college, and, but I was on scholarship. I didn't need to buy that. I was buying Jordans and white tees and pro-fitted hats and pro-club white long white tees. I was stunned. 50 cents said stunned. I was stunned, right? And so <laughs> I was dead. And um, and then when I met Holly, she was like, you know, let's, we're, you, know you go through premarital and you, you start talking about everything in your life and everything. And she goes, oh, let's talk about credit. Let's not. Right. And, and it was like, you know, we're not going to get married until you get rid of this debt. And so I had to figure out how to get rid of the debt and so forth. So when you owe debt to somebody, you got to figure out a way to work it out. When it comes to our debt before God, we can't work it out. We can't work it out. And even when it comes to debt, like school loans, which most of us can understand that, there's an interest that you have to pay. Like, we gave you a loan. now you got a debt. we got entrance on it. Right. Um, Jesus comes and pays it all in full. No interest. We have nothing in which we have to pay God for at the very heart of the gospel is that God did for us what we could never do for ourselves completely out of his love for us as a father that he sent his son, that those who believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Like that like beautiful news. And what Jesus is saying is if your heavenly father loves you, if it's about his kingdom coming, if ultimately he's met these needs, um, if he's forgiven you already in Christ Jesus, now forgive others that way. I don't know your stories, but I know that forgiveness is very, very hard, and most of us don't forgive. Here's what one, one of the ways we'll do. We'll, we'll like exact payment, and here's what exacting payment is. We will treat people the way they treated us. This happens in relationships. This happens in friendships. This happens in marriage. I'm gonna make her feel the way she made me feel. Do you want to go out tonight? No, I don't want to go out tonight. Knowing you want to go out tonight. No, I don't want to go out tonight. Why? Because last week when I said to go out, you didn't want to go out, so why should I go out now? That's exact. First, it's childish. Um, and it's, it's, it's exacting payment, like take for tax. It's not covenantal love. Uh, another thing that we do is we excuse. This is probably what most of us do. Hey, I'm sorry I sinned against you. Oh, it's okay. No, it's not. It's never okay for someone to sin against you. And it's not good for you to say, it's okay. Jesus wasn't on the cross going, it's okay. Right? <laughs> Like, not at all. Like, that's not what the cross represents. And so we excuse people all the time because we don't want to do the hard work. We don't want to do—it is very difficult to truly forgive. It is very difficult, Right? So when I first started following Jesus, I was, I was very thankful. You know, you get thankful for grace. You get thankful for like, man, God's forgiving my sins, past, present, and future. And then the first time I sensed the Spirit of the Lord calling me to something that I did not see explicitly written for me in Scripture was God told me, as best as I can understand, that there was someone in my life who I had not forgiven. And I'm thinking, oh, I could, for- I could-, I could forgive anybody. And I knew it was. I knew it was my, I knew it was my dad. I knew it was my dad. You know, whenever we begin to talk about father stuff, right, some people would say, man, you, you really get into this father thing. And it's like, you know what? Because I, I needed one. And um, I just never really felt like I had one. And it developed something in me that even to this day I am. I don't like hugging people. I don't like doing any of that stuff. And some of you guys, pastor, give me a hug. I'm like, Heisman, um, <laughs> I pray for you from a distance. <laughs> Uh, You're not going to touch me. <laughs> well, that, that's for my wife and my children. Um, but even, even my humor. It's, 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 it's a block in some ways to go, I don't know if I really want you here. Because that place was there, that hole was open, it's closed, right? And so I grew up and I had a difficult relationship with my father. I had a very difficult relationship. And it hits me now as a father... Um, especially with my oldest son. Now, my wife likes to tell me that my oldest son Noah is my favorite kid. Perhaps that's true. And that's because Eli is her favorite, and so it's fair, it's good. So <laughs> you're not supposed to have favorites, but we do. So there's, there's i that's there's, uh, joking, guys. Please don't email me. You should love your kids. I love my kids, right? So, so here, here's part of it why. So Noah's getting to that age. He's the same age that I was, when I love the heck out of my dad. Like we were real tight. And I see it in Noah. And, and I, when I read books on the psychology of kids and stuff, it's that age, that seven, eight, nine age. Boys want to be around their fathers. Anywhere I'm going, can I go? If I'm coming back to the five o'clock, if when I come back to the five o'clock service to preach, he's going to ask me, can I come? Can I see? He sits over there. He takes notes. He, when I drew that squid or whatever that thing was, he drew a squid and it looked way better than my squid. His looked like a squid. Mine looked inappropriate. So there, there was, there was, yeah, you guys knew it. I know you guys didn't want to say it, but I, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I know it. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you guys not, not embarrassing me, but uh, a couple people said some things. So. So my 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 son is in that he's in that age where he wants to be around me now 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 hear me, hear me. So when I was seven eight, my dad used to take me fishing. My dad loved fishing. It's like the favorite th- the thing he loved the most. He had a, ta- he a tattoo that says "gone fishing." Right? you love fishing if you get a tattoo that says "gone fishing." <laughs> and my dad drank a lot of beer, and and he had a beer belly, and it was like a hard beer belly, right? And I would lay my head on his stomach. And I'd listen to, you know, his stomach. <laughs> and that was, like, one of the coolest things to me. And then it flipped. You know, he went, he went off. And when he went off, I went off. And you know what happens to people? When you're young, you desperately want that to be made right. And you actually even admit it, like, I want it to be made right. And then you get older. And the only way to deal with that cavity is for it to become numb. And when it becomes numb, it becomes hard and bitter. And then it leads to angry, just anger. And I, I it was just so deep. And you say things you, you about a person that you would never say. You wish things about a person because of the way they, they made you feel. And the, the, that womb in itself doesn't just get, just open up. It's just we find ways to put other things there, and it's usually just bitterness. And so here I am, 22 years old, and I've just praised God for whom all blessings flow. His love and his grace and his mercy, and this was something I knew God was calling me to do. I got that he was my father, and I got that God was sovereign. I knew all of these things, but when it says to forgive, I can forgive just about anybody. I remember thinking, Lord, I can't forgive this person. You know why? It's because we're really not looking deep into the gospel. We actually think that there are other people who are more sinful than we are. Never once did God say that forgiveness was going to be easy. That's why it's not exacting payment and it's not excusing, excusing. That's easy. To forgive is extremely painful. It's extremely painful. We don't draw from ourselves to forgive. We draw from the fact that we have been forgiven in Christ. We draw from the fact that though we were sinners, yet while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. That while we were enemies of God, he didn't just become our friend, he became our father. That when we were looking for anything else but God, he found us and that Jesus bled for us. And if you don't get that, it's hard to really forgive. But if you get that, it's still difficult and it's painful, but you're free to forgive. So I picked up the phone, uh, I called my dad, um, and we had this long conversation. And, you know, it didn't end with like, oh, son, I've been waiting for this. Let's, let's make a movie, right? Not at all. It was just a regular, here's what I felt like you've done, and I'm going to try to be in your life as best as possible. And here's the reality. Me and my dad's relationship is always going to be fractured because I talk to him as an image bearer, as someone whom I love, but we're not there. We're not there. And I'd be lying to you if I didn't think that there was a fear that something, I would do something to make my little boys feel that way. Because right now, they love their dad. (laughs) But um, I've never been put in their life to be God. And what frees me and what should free us is we have somebody who's in that place who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Everybody will fail you at some point. And that's not me being cynical. That's reality. It may be little, it may be big. Jesus Christ says he's the only one, and God the Father is the only one who will never fail you and never leave you nor forsake you. And then when you fail him, Jesus died on the cross for you. So he says in response to that love, be free and forgive others. And is it incredibly painful? Yes, yes. We know that forgiveness is painful because you know what you're doing when you forgive somebody, you're taking them off the hook and you're willing to absorb the pain and you're choosing not to treat that other person as their sins deserve. That sounds very familiar to what God in Christ did for you, that he absorbed the pain and he took us off the hook and he chooses not to treat us as our sins deserve that he's a loving father who says, though what you've done, I'm not leaving and I'm not going anywhere. And you should pray that my kingdom would come in this situation as it is in heaven and every situation as it is in heaven. You should ask me and I will provide for your daily bread. You should forgive others in the way that I've forgiven you and my son, because he's a good father. He's a good father. And many of us have people that we have all this bitterness towards and we think somehow it's, it's gonna get them When really, it's getting us. It's really getting us. And reconciliation, it may not be possible back to where it was at the very beginning. Depending on what the person has done to sin against you, it may not be possible for you to even be in the same room as them. But to forgive them, ultimately, is between you and God. Right? Um, That is what we as people, as followers of Jesus, are supposed to be about. Um, This prayer that Jesus gives us It's not as easy as praying before football games. It's not as easy as just, I've rehearsed it because I grew up Catholic or Protestant, and so I know the Lord's Prayer. This is difficult. It's very difficult. And part of the reason why it's difficult is because of you and me, and one of the reasons why it's difficult is because we have an enemy that does not want it. And even then, our Heavenly Father, through His Son, Jesus, gives us protection. I'm going to close with verse 13 here. It says, and lead us not into temptation but delivers from evil. This is by no means that if we wouldn't have prayed, God was going to lead us in temptation. No, no, no. This is saying we are tempted. And it's, God, it's not God who's tempting us, but it's the enemy. And he is more powerful than we. And we cannot live this life apart from the love of our Father, apart from prayer to him, apart from the work of his Son. And so we ask for him to meet us. He meets our physical needs and providing daily bread and all the things that we need Physically. He meets our spiritual needs, and he removes the debt and the penalty of sin. And then he meets our moral need, and he protects us against the enemy. Because as powerful as Satan is, our father is stronger. Like what God is welcoming us into, people, is not a get-out-of-hell-free pass. It is a loving, communal relationship with the father in which we live on his mission and because of his son jesus his death and his resurrection his ascension his sending his spirit that we will reign with for all eternity so what we are doing now in response to jesus and living out the ethic of the kingdom is we are inviting in our actions and our words and our deeds and in our prayer others to get in on the love of the father and which jesus opened up for us through his life his death and his resurrection amen So, prayer is not a task that we got to get to. It's a lifestyle that ultimately we got to develop. So, let's begin. God, we thank you that you were real. And somehow, Lord, we have been very good at toning down the words in Scripture. One, we're afraid because it could get very emotional. Another, Lord, because we want things to remain intellectual. But, Lord, you don't see the unnecessary divide. Father, you meet us where we are. You meet us, Lord, right here in this day, in this city, that we may live out your word. And with that, Lord, we are connected with brothers and sisters throughout all of history, Lord, who have ultimately, in response to Christ laying down his life for them, have laid down their lives for you. Jesus, you revealed to us through your life and your death and your resurrection who the Father is. You've invited us, Lord, into prayer. And so we ask that your kingdom would come, Lord, in our prayer life. Your kingdom would come, Lord, in this church, in this city, in this state, in this world, in singles, in our marriages, Lord, in our endeavors. God, that we would humbly submit to you. God, whatever gaping, gashing holes that we have that you would heal, God, that though we may walk with the limp, Lord, help us to follow you faithfully. Jesus, we ask ultimately, Lord, if there are things in our lives, Lord, people in our lives that we will not forgive, Lord, would you free us to forgive? And help us not look to ourselves, but ultimately look to you. Help us to look to the cross, the bloodstained cross, the empty tomb and the resurrection that you would guide us. We thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.